I'm excited uh, to speak with you today. Um, I have the privilege of preaching the last of the Come Alive series, um, closing up the series for Pastor Ron as we cover broken dreams. Yay! <laughs> broken dreams. It's so fun. <laughs> Love talking about broken dreams. <clears throat> I have a I, I have a, a joke about broken dreams. It's it's a bad joke. It's bad. Just be ready for that. Okay, don't have high expectations. Just to lighten the mood. There were some trees that were marked to be cut down. You know, guys, the chainsaws coming so they could be processed to become something. And these trees started talking to each other and. One of the trees was like, I hope I'm the first tree in space. You know, they're just dreaming big. The other one's like, I want to be the first tree to own my own Italian restaurant or something for the joke. And the other one's like, I want to be the first tree president. And, then, you know, the joke ends in horror when they all see that they're being carried into a Charmin toilet paper manufacturing plant. That's a broken dream right there. Just like aiming high. And just seeing what you're getting turned into. I told you it was a bad joke. Hey, but then there was hope for the first tree when he was like, wait a minute. I can still go to space as toilet paper because astronauts, astronauts might still need it, you know. <clears throat> There's a silver lining. Praise God. <laughs> My dreams have never been broken that bad. <clears throat> Um, but hey, I believe, I believe in dreams. I believe God puts dreams inside of us. I don't believe the things that we feel, the drive, um, the, the things that are birthed on inside of who we are and the things that we want to pursue. I think that comes from the Lord. I think the way God created us, he put that inside of us, that drive and that pursuit. Um, he put that in a man named Abraham, or as we will know him at first as Abram, before he gets the name changed from the Lord. And I want to talk about Abram today when it comes to dreams, because Abram wrestled with dreams for sure. He had a journey when it came to God fulfilling what he said he would. There are three places that God promises Abram a future, and he gives the dream, right? Right? Um, we see it in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. You can look it up yourself. You know, you could start way back, and it just keeps working its way through, where more than one time, you know, God approaches Abram and says, hey, I'm going to do this awesome thing in your life. You're going to be the father of many nations. How many of you have heard that? Right? Just like his offspring are what we know as Jews, you know, the Hebrews, the, the chosen people of the Lord. Um, he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, it's going to be amazing. The blessing, the covenant, the open doors, just like it's going to be great. Um, and he asks Abram, he says, to step out in faith. And Abram has to leave everything behind and go. And he says, God, I trust you. Let's do this. But that's something kind of bold to do, right? Leave it behind, go into the unknown. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And Abram has some questions. Let's read Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. 
It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Thank you, Lord. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's a good word. Here's what I appreciate about that passage. I appreciate it, Abram, and his frankness with the Lord. I don't want to be a pretend Christian with a pretend relationship with Jesus. I want it to be real. And Abram's got some questions because he doesn't understand everything. And if any of you in here who have a relationship with the Lord want to act like you understand everything, you've got problems. (laughs) Because I know you don't have everything figured out. And I know you don't understand everything that God says and God does. Right? (laughs) That's the truth. We don't get it. He's above us. Um, I, I remember always having a hard time praying, especially when I was younger with the Lord. I thought it was weird to talk to God because I was like, what am I going to tell him that he doesn't already know? I was like, everything I've learned about God is he's omniscient. He knows everything. I was like one of those logical, smart kids like, oh, yeah, Aaron, you really got it figured out. <clears throat> Why would I tell God if he already knows? Like, isn't this just a waste of time? Like, don't you just know my heart? Like, ah, But that was just a real poor excuse for relationship with the Lord. It was a substitute. It was a cop-out. The thing is, there's something so priceless about someone going to the Father and saying, like, I don't get this. You know, my son, Uriah, coming up to me, just one years old, when he hurt his finger, or just like, like, melodramatic is so funny. He's just like, he's like not even really crying. He just like wants attention. But what I love is just like there's nothing going on in his world that I don't understand. There's no, you don't know anything that I don't know. There's, there's like I know lots of things that you don't know, not the other way around. And it's just like I already know all the answers to anything that he could have. I already have this whole thing covered and figured out. But I love that he comes to me for cover. I love that he's trying to share things with me. I love that he wants me as his shield. His relationship. You see what I'm saying? And we're not supposed to come before the Lord with our Santa Claus list of things to do. That's not a prayer life. That's not relationship. Sometimes we only pray whenever we've got problems. Things I really want you to give me or do for me, Lord. That's not prayer. Sometimes we need to share what's going on in our lives and then shut up and see what God says. Right? It's like conversation, like really, like we're like, God, can you do this for me, do this for me, and I've got a problem with this, and can you take this out of my life? It's a real struggle. Bye. And he's like, uh, uh, like, I was trying to tell you something. Like, I've got an, are you asking me, do you want an answer, or you want me to just be Santa Claus? (laughs) That's not how that works. He's got a lot for us. But I appreciate that Abram is like, God, I don't get it. Because he was like, I appreciate you telling me this promise that you have for me, and you're laying out this like, blessing and this is how it's going to be but it's like how can i be father of many nations if i can't be father of one that's a good question i feel it and sometimes we have a hard time connecting the dots between things just like how god do we get from here to here like 
I don't have one son, and you're promising me the nations that I can't even count, offspring that outnumber the stars? Like, how am I supposed to do that? What does it look like? And I'm telling you, it's good to ask those types of questions to the Lord. I'm saying I'm not questioning whether God's God. I'm saying, God, I don't get it. I think we only make progress when we're really real, genuine. I think we have a problem with genuine faith, genuine Christianity in our culture. More people who can just be real about, like, I don't know everything, but I love God, and this is what he's done in my life so far. This is what has been made, this is what has been made true. Uh, we want to know that there is a future and a reward or a legacy to our life's work. That's something that God's put in us. He's, he's put that inside of us that we would have purpose, that we would move uh, in a way that would honor the Lord and bring like great legacy and bring glory to who he is. That's, that's what he's all about. Uh, one of my favorite things that Pastor Ron ever talks about is when he talks about God and us. And he's like, does God need us? Why did God make you? I know I've talked about this before. It's my favorite. Why did God make you? Would he still be God if you weren't here? Yes. God's existence does not hinge on whether I'm around. (laughs) It's not how it works. I'm not that great. Then why did God create us if he didn't need us? Because he derived great pleasure in it. Because he enjoyed it. Because it brought glory to him. Because he liked giving life to something that was made in his image. And he wants that relationship with us. He's like, I want to love something that's also going to love me back. That's going to show how awesome and how glory-filled this life can be. And I think that's so good. Because I want you to know, as we're talking about broken dreams here, and we start going into areas where we've got some serious disappointment. Serious heartbreak. I mean, what are those dreams? I'm not talking about a bad day. I'm talking about a shattered dream here. That is going to knock the wind out of you. What I want you to know is God delights in you. He didn't send his son to that cross for nothing. You get that? He doesn't delight in our suffering. That's not who he is. As a good father, he doesn't enjoy us going through pain and turmoil. That's not how the story ends when he's writing a book. He's got a plan. As cliche as Jeremiah 29, 11 is, it gets used a lot. It doesn't stop being any less true like it is so true. He's got a plan for us, a hope and a future, not calamity, not destruction. That's not how it ends. I want you to keep that in mind as we keep moving forward. We need hope. Hope. What do you, what do you put your hope in? We need hope. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When it gets taken from us, pulled away, ripped, makes the heart sick. But when it gets fulfilled, man, it's just life-giving. I want to ask you, 
who or what has your hope been placed in? Because the good Christian answer, my hope is in Jesus, right? Amen, Jesus. Nine times out of ten, though, when the hope gets ripped out from us, I mean, we're talking about broken dreams. We're not talking about little things here. When our hope gets broken and we're really struggling, it, it shows really what we were trusting in that whole time. Now, so I want to ask, hope is so desperately important in our life. Is our hope in a person, in a relationship? Is it in money? Is it in the job? What is our hope in? What have we been leaning on so hard that may not be God? What have we been leaning on so hard that may not be God? That's good, you know, because, you know, finishing this series, we're talking about broken hearts, broken bodies, broken identities, broken minds, right? What are we really hoping in that's really going to make us complete, was never going to let us down. Romans 15, 12 through 13 says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at all that hope. That's so much hope. And that's something that will never let you down. Joy and peace. So when it's talking about the root of Jesse, when he's talking about the bloodline going all the way through David and everybody that leads to Jesus Christ, he's talking about the Messiah, who even the Gentiles will have hope in, not just the Jews, not just the Old Testament God's chosen people. We're talking about this is the breakthrough here for everybody. May that God of hope fill you. And did you know that when you're trusting in him by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can have joy and peace in every situation you're going through? This is why hope is so critically important. It's a hope for a future. It's a hope that when you're working through your broken dreams that we're going to be talking about here, that you can have joy and peace in every situation. You can go to a funeral and be mourning for a loved one and still have the joy of the Lord inside of you. That's what we're talking about. And it's in that great hope that people need to see. I need that. I need that inside of me. And then that also is so valuable for those who are out there hopeless to see that in us as a church, as godly people. This is, this is that real talk. This is that like genuine, like you need to be around messed up people and they need to see hope inside of you. Hope, hope, hope. We need hope. What is our hope in? Jesus, be our hope. I want to talk away talk about uh, three different ways that our, our dreams get broken. Three ways our dreams get broken. <clears throat> and there's more, or maybe it falls into a subcategory. I'm just going to point out three ways that I think are relevant. You okay with that, Chris? Thank you, Chris. Three ways our dreams get broken. Number one, the enemy. We need to be so aware that there is an enemy out there. And sometimes in our politically correct culture, we feel really uncomfortable talking about spiritual things or like the devil. He's not an allegory. He doesn't represent something else. He's real. And he hates us. 
And he's got an army of bad guys who want to do bad things to us. In fact, they would kill us and strangle us with their bare hands if they could. They hate us. We represent everything that they hate. We were created by God. He died on the cross for us. He's given us a way out. He's just poured out all this affection and love for us. And they chose the wrong side a long time ago. And so they're like, we're going to rob as much joy and life that we can. We hate you. That's the enemy. He wants you to die. And if he can't kill you, he's going to do everything in his power to rob the glory of God from you. He wants to destroy your hopes and dreams. He wants you to be distracted. He wants you to be miserable. He wants you to be doing anything but what you're supposed to be doing. Hopeless and defeated is a good place for the enemy to see a Christian. If I can't bring you to hell, I want you hopeless and defeated. I want you doing nothing with your life. John 10.10 says... The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In the contrast, so good. He wants us to be alive, like not just living, but fully alive. Another scripture says that the enemy roams around seeking like a lion whom he may devour. Who can I mess with today? Who can I eat? Who can I knock over? Um, another scripture in Genesis, I believe, talks about sin, crouching, craving us. Not an inanimate object like a vending machine where you go pick your sin. As in, you're going to go outside and sin is waiting outside the door wanting to get you. It's real, people. <laughs> And we have to be aware of it. The enemy knows what your weaknesses are, knows which buttons to push, and has been active in destroying the dreams that God has birthed inside of us. Destroy, destroy, destroy. You need to put on your armor of God. You need to pray. You need to protect your family. You you have to be aware of a very active enemy who wants to kill you and destroy the good things in your life. The enemy has had such um, influence in our culture, in modern culture, whether it's what we entertain ourselves with, the addictions there, just in our education, um, our sexuality, all sorts of things. Just the farther as a culture we get away from God, the farther we get away from his word, the more power the enemy's had. In our culture, that might have been a very good uh, tool for the enemy to bring destruction to your dreams or the directions that you thought you were supposed to be going in. Something maybe has grabbed one of your kids or a relative or something, an addiction, uh, uh, apathy, laziness, entertainment. I just want to be entertained, man. I can't tell you. Video games, such a big deal for young people, just so much. Uh, Instagram, how many of you guys scroll on Instagram for hours and hours and hours? It's real. Sometimes your cell phone is the enemy. <laughs> I'm just saying, be aware of the things that rob your time that keep you from fulfilling the dreams that God has laid out inside of us. The enemy wants to destroy and break our dreams. Second thing that destroys our dreams is our flesh. We like to talk about the enemy, and I can point at an enemy all day long, but there is no bigger adversary in my life than me and my flesh. It's the worst It's the worst, and you've got to take responsibility for it. 
Um, Genesis 16, 1 through 6. Let's read that. Now, Sariah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, this is going to go well, right? The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Does that sound like a good idea? No, but Abram agreed to what Sariah said. Oh, you want me to go sleep with another woman? Sure, yeah, done. Keep going. Oh, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sariah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Well, why? It was your idea. Keep going. Then Sariah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. Isn't this just twisted? It's just wrong. May the Lord judge between you and me. Between you and me? You're both so guilty. Abram said, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Real good, great job taking responsibility, Abram. Then Sariah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is in the middle of when God promised blessing to Abraham and Sarah. Cool. Now, what I can appreciate about this is that if, like, this is, like, the Bible, these are like fathers of our faith. What kind of, like, sick days of our lives stuff is this? It's true. Like, that's messed up. But this is who God redeems and does something incredible through. And he will. There's nothing that he can't redeem and make new and whole. Again, that's the character and nature of God. Here's what I need you to know. There are consequences for what you do. She does conceive a son. And God protects her. It wasn't your fault. You didn't do it wrong. Like, I'm not going to let them hurt you or kill you. She has Ishmael. Do you know who Ishmael is? You know who he's the father of? Islam. That was never supposed to happen. But when we start doing things outside of God's blessing, God had a very real dream lined up there. But we get impatient. I can do it my way. I know what's best. And God is saying, if you keep going that way, there's going to be consequences. We can look at Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew. Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed. You heard that, right? His wife looks back when she wasn't supposed to, turns into salt of all things. I'm like, God, you could have turned her into so many things. Like, why salt? Like, that's just interesting to me. But anyways, she's gone. The, the husbands-to-be of his two daughters didn't come with. They thought he was crazy. So it's just Lot and his two daughters. God saved them. He didn't have to. He saved them. But again, we have some people here who, man, God saved me, but they don't believe that God has a plan for their life, that the dream is dead. And so those two daughters get their father drunk in a cave. We don't have any offspring. We don't have any heirs. Two nights in a row, and they both sleep with their drunk father. That's worse than days of our lives. I don't even know what to call that. And they both get pregnant. 
One of them has the offspring named Ammon who becomes the Ammonites. Ever heard of them? Bad guys. The next one has another one who becomes the heir of the Moabites. You heard of Moab? They're worse. A plague on Israel. Their offspring are numerous. And they pillage, destroy, and steal from Israel for so long. That is so far down the road that we read about the Moabites. But just like that seed grew into something else down the line. That is so serious, people of God. It's so serious. The problems that we have in our culture, in our churches, in our families are not ones that were sown overnight. It's a habitual pattern of unfaithfulness to God and not believing in the dream that he has for us. In in selfishness and in pride and the thinking that I'm better, I can do it my own way. It's going to take a people who can repent and turn from that and start sowing better seed to outdo that. We have to hope and trust in God and know that our flesh gets in the way of dreams. The things that we try to make happen, if I could just mm, make this happen, ends up being the thing that we despise. She hated that she did it. It was your idea. Yeah, but it turns into that. Relationship that turns into hatred is crazy. What did God say? God tell you to go sleep with that slave girl? Oh, of course not. Why did you think you were going to get the blessing from that? Why do you think that's going to turn into something good? We got to let our flesh die, and it's a constant battle. That's an everyday thing. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for still using Abram. Right? That's not the end of the story, praise God. But that is a bad chapter. I've had those chapters in my life. I believe in the redeeming power of Jesus. And then the last way I want to point out about how dreams get broken are by God. God breaks dreams. God, let me tell you something, he's going to ask you to sacrifice things. He's going to ask you to lay things down on the altar. sometimes he'll step in and just take things because he knows what's best for us. There are times when I take things away from Uriah that he loves so much he wanted so bad, but I know that it's not good for you and it has to go. I have something better planned for you, and that's going to ruin it. No. I know. That's so bad. But this is why our hope has to be in him and trust. Like, like Uriah, you just need to know that I love you. I'm a good father. I want to take care of you, and I have something great planned for you. Do you believe that about God? It's easy for us to say yes now. Let's read Genesis 22, too. You know where this is going. Then God said, take your son, Abraham, your only son, whom you love. What does that sound like to you? That's Jesus. Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Oh, but God, this is the promise. This is the one that you just, like, we just went through this crazy, like, journey. Like, I've been struggling so hard to get to the place that you've been wanting me to go. 
I did some things wrong, but I came back to you and, and the ups and the downs, all that was for Isaac. This is where the many nations come from. The stars in the sky, God, you remember that talk that we had? The three times you encountered me and you promised me this dream. Now you're asking me to kill it and to lay it down? Why would you do that? I mean, I would like to think that I respond like Abraham did, but I can't say that I would. I don't know. My selfishness gets in the way all the time. Abraham, he did it. He trusted God. It's weird because atheists like to use this. I've had more than one conversation where atheists bring up Abraham trying to sacrifice Isaac as like a, your God is so dark and messed up and just who would ever ask me to do that to my kid? I would never bleep and bleep and do this. I'm like, you don't get it. You don't understand what that's a picture of. You're taking something out of context and you don't understand the culture there. I'm like, if you do any sort of reading or understanding about the Bible, like God is very against human sacrifice. Like that's a no-no. He would never ask us for that. Right here in this moment, God is asking Abraham to sacrifice this thing as he lays out this picture-perfect replication of what's to come. Jesus, the one who could pay the price. If you understand the culture and why they had to sacrifice things was to atone for sins, and there was going to be one to come who will atone for all and one go around, once and for all, beating sin and death. And he's saying to Abraham right here, if you know the story, Abraham goes all the way through with it, tied up on the altar, knife in the air, and God says, stop. He said, I wanted to see myself in you. I created you in my image. And he's saying, I, I needed to see that you are like me. I needed to see that you were willing to do things the way that I wanted to do them. I don't want you to kill Isaac. He's like, I'm going to have to kill my son, Jesus. God's not willing to do, ask us to do anything that he's not willing to do first. <clears throat> and he's like, I don't need you to do that. But I needed to see your heart and where you're at. Because if you're going to be the father of the nation of Israel, my chosen people, that I'm going to do great things, including the bloodline of Jesus, I need to see me in you. God's nature people of God. His nature is to restore, it's to heal and make a way. That is why the cross happened. That's who the nature of God is. And I want you to know that anything that God has asked us to sacrifice or to lay down is because there is something better that he has in store. He never asks us to lay something down or to give up something that he's not willing to replace with something else. You think someone who sends their son to die on the cross and to heal people and performs a miracle wants you to walk around empty with a giant hole inside of you? No, that's the problem with the earth right now. There's people trying to walk around that have a giant hole in them, and they're filling it with everything they can stuff in there, but it keeps falling out. It's a God-shaped hole. Only he can fill it. I want you to know that there are dreams that maybe he has killed or asked you to lay down that he wants to bring back to life that you have forgotten about. Maybe he wants to bring it back to life in a different way. You know, ever since I was a really young boy, I was going into the armed forces. I just knew it. It's what I was going to do. My best friend, Shane, they called us Sharon. 
because we were always together. Yeah, it was a little emasculating. I'm not going to lie, but <clears throat> Shane and Aaron share. Just address us one at a time. But we did everything together. And we even wanted to do some of the buddy systems that the armed forces had that let you go together up to a certain level. Like, just so excited. It's just, man, I have so many servicemen in my family heritage. Just from my dad, uncles, grandparents, great uncles, and things like that that just served. And I was just like, that's what I'm going to do. And I would be good at it. I wanted to join the Navy, maybe fly a helicopter. That would be really cool. There's a lot of Navy legacy. And I wanted to go Navy SEALs training. Come on. Stuff is so awesome. 18 years old. Never thought about anything else. I mean, I love the church and serving wherever, you know, it was time, but I took the ASVAB tests and did everything but dot I's and cross T's. And God said, you're going to Bible college. And I was like, <laughs> that was my response. I didn't want to say yes right away. <laughs> he was like, oh yeah, you're going to Bible college. And I was like, Okay, am I going to maybe, after Bible college, go to the armed forces then? Maybe I'll be, what is it, a, a chaplain? That'd be cool. No. I got to tell you, I was scared to death of going. I was During active wartime, this was in, I was more scared of going to Bible college and joining the armed forces during active wartime. <laughs> but God knows what he's doing. And I'm so glad that I said yes. I didn't fight him on him. This is one of those good testimonies in my life. Um, we're just like, he, he blessed and he covered and, and that thing died inside of me, but he resurrected something else. I gotta tell you right now, like, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else with my life. Like, and I'm at a place where I'm training young people in a militaristic fashion for the kingdom of heaven, pouring into young people that I want to be the best of the best young people in Northwest Indiana. Like, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. But he puts different dreams inside of us, and it's so worth it. And I think back now, if I would have been rebellious and I would have said no, what I would have missed out on, so many things, let me count the ways. Don't laugh at God. Sarah laughed at God. Abraham didn't believe. Watch where you give up. God is not done. And he's like, you challenged my character. And you don't think I am who I say I am. Like, you're going to want to be uh, on my side when things go down. Not, not on the side that, like, it's good in spite of what I say, but because of what you say. You see what I'm saying? It's so good. <clears throat> I want to remember the story of Lazarus in John 11. Read it on your own time. Go through the whole chapter. Lazarus was the man. Everything the Bible leads us to believe about Lazarus was he was the life of the party. It was the enemy of no one. He just, everybody loved Lazarus. Best friends with Jesus and the disciples and just those group of families. Just like, oh, Lazarus is going to be there. It's awesome. Like, Maybe he was a clown in the group or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but everybody loved Lazarus. Lazarus. Oh, that dude's a man. Lazarus will do it. He'll do anything for you. Well, Lazarus is not doing so good. Jesus is out ministering and doing the work that he's supposed to be doing. And someone says, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And it's not good. We need you to come with us. Come on. And he's like, no. He's like, but it's Lazarus. Come on, like you gotta help him. It's we're not kidding. It's really bad. He's like, he's not dying. He's not going to a place 
that can't be taken care of. Like, I've got to do what I've got to do. I'm not going there now. And they're just like, all right, don't understand it, but okay. Two days later, rolls around, and Jesus shows up, and Lazarus is dead. Dead Lazarus. And it is so dark. The scene is so grim. And you have people sitting there, and they're saying things like, if Jesus, if you only would have been there just a couple of days earlier, why didn't you make this a priority? Like, why didn't you listen? Why didn't you? Why didn't? Why didn't? Why didn't? And it's a hard place to be, and we don't ever want to judge Jesus. But you know the truth of the matter is we do things like that all the time. God, why don't you? Like, we know better. We don't know better than God. We think it's crazy that Abram and Sariah made that little deal with the slave girl type thing and just like, I would never. But the truth is we do it all the time. We find ways where it's just like we got this figured out and we know how this needs to happen. I need you to know that God's ways are not our ways. And his timing is not our timing. And how this relates to your dreams is that it's not going to come together the way you think it's going to happen. And you've got to be okay with that. If you're not okay with it, you're just going to make things harder on yourself. Uh, we see this picture of Lazarus, man. It says Jesus groans. Oh, like this deep guttural. Oh, he groans. Jesus does not delight in this picture. He doesn't delight in the morning. He doesn't delight in sin and in death. He doesn't delight in heartbreak. He doesn't delight in sickness and in pain. That's not the character of Jesus. And maybe you don't say that's what it is, but we question sometimes why he allows things to happen. We question. Yeah, but God, you could have done this. His ways are not our ways. And he says in that moment, Lazarus, come forth. Come alive. Step forward. I'm calling you to life. And Lazarus, wrapped in linen and covered in spices to cover the stench of death, comes hobbling out of there. And I just want you to think, like, what would it have been like if Jesus would have been there earlier and healed another sick person in front of his family? Or how much glory does God get now that Lazarus has come back to life in front of such a great crowd of witnesses, the testimony that spreads there, like, it's better. He knows what he's doing. He knows when the right time is, who the right person is, when this has to happen, how it has to happen. You ask all the big questions. He knows the answers. His ways are not our ways. And I want you to remember that when it comes to your dreams. I want you to think about that. What are the dreams that he still needs to resurrect inside of you? Because I believe he does. I believe it's something that you thought was long dead that he wants to call back to life. Something that maybe you forgot about or you just let go or you've been wrestling with. Maybe he's calling something new inside of you that's attached to something else. Just he wants to birth new things inside of us and have dreams come to life. He called us for hope and a future and purpose. He has that inside of us. It's what he wants us to do. I want to play a song for you. It's uh, by a guy, he's got a really weird name, Olafur. You know anyone named Olafur? Olafur Arnolds. I don't know if he's Christian or not. Um, 
I know I don't hear anything bad. He does mostly instrumental work. And, man, this song particularly, I can listen, like, every week just to get myself fired up. But I believe, man, when I hear people uh, doing things and working in a way that God has gifted them, I see God being worshipped in that way. You know worship is supposed to look like more than just Sunday morning singing songs together, right? That is one act of worship. But when we do the things that God has called us to do, where he's gifted us, like, he gets glory, he gets honor, he gets praise, he rejoices, he delights in the gifts that he's given us when we use them for his glory. Amen? But the name of this song is Reclaim. It's so good. And the Lord just speaks to me, man. Uh, there's something about, there's a difference when something has been claimed versus when it's been reclaimed. Something has been taken away, it's been lost, and there's something about taking it back, which is so good. And I believe God wants to do that. I think God wants us to reclaim hope this morning. And you can play that. You can have it start to go. But reclaiming hope. What I love about this song is it starts very heavy and very dark. And just one word, reclaim, just sums up the feeling on the inside that I have. Um, yeah, keep it a little loud. I really want to hear it. <clears throat> reclaim. Reclaim. I almost just see the funeral of Lazarus. Like it's just grim and it's just dark. It's just heavy and just like, ugh, you just feel the weight um, of defeat. We can all relate to defeat. Brokenness, loss. Oh, I hate that feeling. But there's this little string of hope. Hope, hope, hope. <clears throat> it's in those dark moments, man. Life. Life. He just wants to keep us alive. He says, I come that you would have life, like not just live, like be alive. Are you alive? He is our great hope, and he wants to resurrect life inside of us. And we talk about broken hearts, broken bodies, our identities and our mind, and all these things that just insecurities and yuck that just keep us wounded and separated from this great potential and this awesome calling that God has for us. He wants to restore. He wants to bring hope. He wants to reclaim that what was taken by the enemy, that what was taken by our flesh, by the world. He wants to birth something new inside of us. Reclaim that hope. Fight for it. And more often than not in our faith, man, God is not looking to just do something for us. I mean, he wants to. He's right there, but he's saying, get up. Get up, Lazarus. Get up. Come alive. Step forward. And he's like, what are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to do? Our faith is an action. I don't want to just trigger some emotional response inside of you. I want you to hold on to those moments of clarity where you can see things like you're supposed to see them and not with every distraction that comes in this world. Reclaim hope. Put up Second Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4. 
His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I'm on fire. I can't be stopped with you by my side, God. Like, what do I trust in? What are you going after? What is your hope placed in? I want to end this series of coming alive, being alive. I want to jump into whatever this next season is on fire, so filled with hope. And man, I just want to tell you anywhere you have had loss in your life, where the dream, the hope has been deferred, the brokenness has reigned inside of you. He's saying, I'm not done. You're here, aren't you? I'm not done. Fight for it. Reclaim hope. So I have the worship team up here, and I want some pastors and elders to come up here to be ready to minister and pray with you. And I want you to get that if you need it. Some of you just need to do business with God, maybe. You just need to worship him. You just need to come to the altar. Maybe he's asking you to lay things down, and he's been asking you to lay this thing down for a long time, and you haven't done it. Now is the time to do it. Some of you, you're going to have to pick things up that you've left down for so long. But what is God speaking to you about reclaiming that hope that he has for you. Come on, we're ending this in the bang. We're going for it. We want to worship him with everything that we are. And just think about that altar that Abram had to go to. And then remember the ram that was in the thicket afterwards, the provision, the supernatural provision for every single season of our life that God has for us. I don't know if you're on the cusp of something great, if you're in the middle of confusion, or you're at the very bottom where everything's been taken out from underneath your feet. Like God is wanting to revive something inside of you and to reclaim hope in Jesus' name. So stand up and let's worship and come get prayer if you need it. Talk to the Lord and just let that life surge inside of you in Jesus' name.